0: You are listening to Payers, Providers, and Patients, Oh My!, a podcast about healthcare law in the United States brought to you by the Healthcare Group at Kroll & Mooring. I'm Joe Records.
1: And I'm Pyle Nanavati. For today's episode, we're talking to Todd Rosenberg, who spends a lot of time working with Pharmacy Benefit Managers, or PBMs, in his work as a partner in Kroll's corporate and healthcare groups. As we get closer to the end of the year, we wanted to chat with Todd about PBMs since they've received a lot of attention by regulators and Congress in 2019.
0: Right, Pyle. PBMs play a crucial role in managed care by facilitating relationships among health plans and pharmacies and patients. And over the past year or so, PBMs have gotten a lot of attention from regulators. And we want to kind of dig in a little bit on what's going on in the PBM space. We've seen a lot of action at the state level with Medicaid programs, as well as other regulatory efforts where states are getting involved to varying degrees in PBM contracting. There have also been discussions at the federal level about how prescription drugs are covered and paid for. But before we get into those details, we want to start at a high level to just talk about what PBMs do and how they work in managed care.
2: Great. So... Behind your relatively simple transaction of getting the prescription to the pharmacy and usually picking it up or having it mailed to you and paying your copay, there is a web of arrangements that people don't really appreciate exist out there in the world. And these arrangements involve your health plan, they involve the pharmacy, they involve the manufacturer of the drug, especially when you're getting a brand drug rather than a generic drug. And there's other players sometimes involved too.
1: So it sounds like PBMs are playing an important role in managing prescription drug spend, which is a significant cost driver for health plans.
2: Your health plan, rather than doing all of these things and managing all these transactions for itself, will likely engage a third party who is a pharmacy benefit manager. And that pharmacy benefit manager will contract the plan's pharmacy network, so they'll go out and enter into contracts with all the big pharmacy chains. That you've heard of, and with organizations that represent independent pharmacies. They will determine what the pharmacy will be paid when it dispenses a drug. They will process the pharmacy's claim to determine what benefits are available to the member for that claim and what the member's copay would be. And especially with brand drugs, they will enter into agreements with manufacturers where the manufacturers agree to pay a rebate when one of their brand drugs is dispensed and other conditions for the payment of the rebate are met. So the PBM is out doing all these things that don't necessarily come to the attention of the member or even an employer who's the plan sponsor, but they're all important when you're determining the cost of a claim. I think that kind of confusion and poor understanding has led some people to have a lot of suspicions about the business models of PBMs. But on the other hand, if you asked a PBM, they would say that what they're doing is achieving economies of scale for health plans and employers, that those economies of scale result in health plans realizing lower drug costs and better rebates. So while the member may or may not directly see the benefit of the rebate, the income from the rebates might very well be reducing premiums and other costs. I think a PBM's ability to leverage its technology, they all have very robust claims processing systems and other information technology that they've developed that'll support various functions for the plan. Their ability to leverage that technology across a large number of members creates efficiencies that save the health plans a lot of money.
1: So what are some of the concerns that people have about PBMs?
2: I think a lot of the concerns that people have about PBMs relate to whether or not PBMs are ultimately inflating the cost of drugs through revenue streams that are not transparent to the health plans or the members. I think one of the areas that's gotten a lot of play in recent years has been the type of pricing model that's used between a health plan and a pharmacy and whether that model supports transparency or not. There's been a model in the industry for a long time called lock-in or traditional pricing. And lock-in or traditional pricing is a situation where what the plan pays the PBM and what the PBM pays the pharmacy are divorced from one another. So the PBM can arrange to have drugs dispensed by a pharmacy at one price, then mark up that price and charge that marked up price to the health plan. And people on the health plan side don't necessarily know the amount of that markup, so that creates a fear that there's opportunity being taken by the PBM to increase its revenues in a way that might not be entirely transparent. The other model that's out there is pass-through pricing, where the plan is to be charged whatever the pharmacy is reimbursed for the particular drug that gets dispensed. But the number of drugs out there and the number of pharmacies out there leads to a situation where there's not one set price for a given drug. It's not like this is always on the counter with a sticker on it that says 3.99 is the manufacturer's recommended price.
1: You focused a lot on the relationship between PBMs and pharmacies as well as PBMs and health plans. Can you talk a little bit about the relationship between PBMs and manufacturers of pharmaceuticals?
2: So in addition to negotiating the reimbursement that a pharmacy receives for a drug, the PBMs would also frequently handle negotiations between manufacturers and ultimately the health plan in terms of rebates that the manufacturers pay when a manufacturer's brand drugs get dispensed. And those rebate arrangements typically require that a drug be in a certain position on a health plans drug formulary, which is a list of drugs and associated rules for when that drug gets prescribed to a member. So you need to try one of these three drugs first. And then if those don't work, then you go to these three drugs or you need to check for certain conditions before a member is prescribed a drug and the claim would be processed and accepted by the plan. So a manufacturer will contract with a PBM for a rebate, agree on what the conditions are to the payment of that rebate, and then when the drug gets dispensed, the PBM would invoice the manufacturer for that rebate and pass along all or some of the rebate amount to the health plan. And those have obviously been controversial dollars as part of this picture over the past years. One of the things that that money does, because it's not at the point of sale, is it may increase what a member pays towards the cost of a drug. If they're paying that cost share or coinsurance based on the full retail price of the drug and there's a rebate on the back end, that doesn't reduce the member's cost share. So. There is a benefit in rebates, but you could trace through those dollars and figure out whether without a rebate or if the rebate was applied at the point of sale and it reduced the member's copayment, that would have other impacts on the economics where the plans would need to be made whole or would ultimately reduce the cost of a health plan for a member. So it's not clear that just by eliminating the rebate that you would ultimately realize that savings for the members or the programs. I think going back to your question of where there are concerns, there are also other revenue streams potentially between pharmacies and PBMs, fees that pharmacies pay to participate in a PBMs pharmacy network or to process claims through that network called transaction fees or network access fees. There, as we talked about before, are the revenues that go back and forth when they are reconciling whether or not the drug payment was adequate to the pharmacy. So there are concerns that there are other payments at work between the PBM and the pharmacy that could be opportunities for skewing pricing. So health plans and others need to be thinking through how to make sure that they have transparency on those
1: Have states stepped in to mandate or favor a pricing model?
2: I think the state regulators are focusing more and more of their attention. In New York, they're definitely focusing more of their attention. As one great example where there was a budget shortfall and the state legislature adopted legislation requiring certain changes to agreements between PBMs and health plans and the state Medicaid agency in implementing that legislation took a fairly expansive view of what pass-through was and what the pluses and minuses were of revenues flowing back and forth between the PBM and the pharmacy that needed to be taken into account for determining the amount of the pass-through price. And that's being still determined today. So I think there's a lot more focus on... Figuring out where the flows of funds are and whether there's actually profit-taking and spread being made by PBMs on pricing, even when it's what we would ordinarily think of as pass-through pricing.
0: Am I right to think that there are different categories of types of regulations that states have adopted, either by enacting legislation or by administrative action? that there are sort of across-the-board PBM regulations where we're talking about maybe licensure or restrictions that apply to any PBM doing business in a given state versus another avenue for regulating PBMs, and and particularly Mm -hmm. this would be in a a state budget situation where we know Medicaid costs each state a significant percentage of their, their budgets, and there might be specific actions under the Medicaid program where a state, again, either the Medicaid agency or the state legislature, would look at PBM payment as a way to try to decrease their outlays.
2: I think there's a focus beyond just Medicaid. I think most of the activity at the state level has been on Medicaid historically, though there's always been state law that governs pharmacy reimbursement or pharmacy participation in networks that goes beyond just the Medicaid realm there are any willing provider requirements in certain states where if you want to be in a pharmacy network and you're willing to meet the standard terms and conditions for participation that you're eligible to participate there have been laws passed regarding the use of what's called mac lists which are lists of prices that are applicable primarily to generic drugs so there's been a history of
0: mac- regulations maximizing maximum,
2: maximum allowable cost so there has been a history of regulations that go beyond the Medicaid realm, but I think we're seeing an increase through things like licensing PBMs, and California and other states are definitely focusing on licensing PBMs. There have been certain states that have been exploring concepts like treating the PBM as a fiduciary, which I'm not an ERISA lawyer, but I think runs into certain ERISA-related issues with preemption and a history of ERISA-related case law where PBMs have been found not to be fiduciaries of the plan. So there has definitely been a spillover, I'd say, beyond just the regulated government program space into other areas. I'd still say, though, that most of the activity that's going on is focused on the Medicaid plans. On the federal side, focus on Medicare, because those are areas where there's just a lot more access to the regulated population because they're doing business under contracts with either the state Medicaid agency or the Medicare case with CMS, and there are federal and state laws that apply to them and regulate their activities.
1: So what has the federal government done to regulate this space?
2: So the Trump administration's drug blueprint that they put out last year looked like it might have very serious implications for the manufacturer rebate component of the drug pricing model that we talked about. They were suggesting a rule that was ultimately floated and then didn't see the light of day where they would have excluded rebate arrangements from the safe harbors that are available for pricing discounts and more or less required a substitute arrangement to be put in place between manufacturers and PBMs and pharmacies where the rebates would have been taken into account more at the point of sale. Ultimately, that regulation didn't see the light of day. I think what ultimately transpired was that the PBMs and likely the health plans were successful in making it clear to CMS and others that the implementation of those rules would result in higher premium costs for members and wouldn't necessarily result in the touted savings. So the rule didn't come to light. But That wasn't the end of the day on increased focus on manufacturers and the rebate arrangements. So we've seen legislative activity this year on the Hill relating to drug pricing and the rebates included as part of that. It's not really clear if any of that legislation is likely to make it across the line anytime this year we're getting closer and closer to the 2020 election. We obviously have a divided hill where Democrats on one side control the House and Republicans control the Senate. So the opportunities for a compromise approach are relatively limited right now. So it may not be likely that there's ultimately going to be federal legislation. And I think the implementation of regulatory reforms is fraught with peril, like the rebate rule was. So I'm not anticipating any major changes between now and the election. But I think there could be significant federal activity, depending on the outcome of the 2020 election, to look at ways at cutting drug costs, increasing the ability to negotiate pricing and other opportunities that where maybe some of the issues that you hear about publicly in the media with American consumers or plans paying more for the cost of drugs compared to foreign purchasers of the same drug. Maybe some of that gap will be narrowed by providing a little bit more opportunity for price negotiations
0: that would help cut prices. On the state front, it sounds like we're kind of seeing two categories of types of activity, where there would be potential licensure and kind of overall regulation of the industry, and then also payment under Medicaid programs. And on the the federal front, payment under programs, I think, seems to be what's driving any of the the proposals that exist, where both Medicare and Medicaid involve federal dollars. So, And there are As you said, safe harbors that come into play under those programs that federal proposals might address. I think that's basically it, right? That's the landscape.
2: Well, I think we could delve a little bit more into some of the things that are happening at the state level. Okay. There has been a push in recent years by Medicaid agencies to limit the discretion of PBMs and health plans in determining reimbursement for drugs. So there have been a number of states that have been pushing for the use of a state mandated. Pricing arrangement. There have been more and more legislation and laws focused on how MAC lists get established and communicated to pharmacies. There was a change in at least one state this year where, if a PBM was going to make a major change to the reimbursement for drugs, they had to go to the state Medicaid agency for approval first. And that was in Kentucky, but I think there's also similar arrangements to that in other states. then the other thing that's happening out there that's very interesting is the question of whether the state is better off if it was to disintermediate and replace the PBM altogether. We've seen in Louisiana a move to establish kind of a state-level PBM. We've seen something similar in California, which would obviously be on a much bigger scale than Louisiana, just given the greater population in California where there's a move afoot to have the state, in essence, become the PBM that would probably outsource that work to a PBM itself. And there's activity going on on that front currently, where the state would become the PBM and the health plans would not be playing the same role in the pharmacy realm that they have been historically playing. So I think there's more activism that could be coming down the pike at the state level. The players at the state level have also changed to some extent where we've seen more involvement by state attorneys general in looking into drug pricing issues than we had seen before.
1: So it sounds like the goal of regulation at the state level has been to either increase transparency of pricing and the PBM function overall, but also to just take it over entirely. Are there any other goals of state regulation?
2: I think it's really ultimately about Looking for ways to reduce drug spending. And I think that's a complicated puzzle for any regulator to solve because of the number of players involved. There's obviously drug manufacturers, there are pharmacies, health plans, members, and PBMs. They don't necessarily all have consistent interests or alignments. So I think it's a tough nut for regulators to crack. But I'd say it's ultimately all about reducing cost and. That may have benefits, obviously, for the participants in the programs if it's a program where you have cost sharing and you need to pay a certain portion of the cost of the drug. But it is ultimately about reducing the state costs for the drugs.
0: It sounds like we're at an interesting point in the life cycle of managed care overall, right? Where we have care management where at some point private plans discovered that the management of the drug spend specifically was a significant enough piece of the managed care puzzle that specialization was necessary, whether in-house or through a separate PBM. So you have PBMs come into existence and and contract with health plans. And now we've gotten to a point where the complexity of PBM arrangements has given rise to apparently a few states trying to deprivatize that piece of managed care and take on either as a bureaucratic function or as a state procurement rather than a private health plan procurement, the function of a PBM. And as you said, I mean, it's a web of transactions that make up that part of managed care and certainly a complex task for anyone who takes it on.
2: Right. And the other thing that we've seen, obviously, is consolidation within the PBM industry. There have been more and more linkages between health plans and PBMs over the past few years with Cigna's acquisition of Express Scripts, with CVS's acquisition of Aetna, And CVS is actually one of the, in addition to being the pharmacy chain on the corner, is also one of the largest PBMs out there. So there has been also an increasing alignment between PBMs and health plans. So that's a relatively recent market trend, and we will have to see where that impacts the drug pricing picture.
0: Are there identifiable trends in regulatory approaches that we've started to see take shape? For example, some states you discussed have taken action on price transparency and some have imposed specific price restrictions. Are there any other categories of substantive regulatory activities that states have tried? Yes, I'm
2: not sure if I've thought about it as from a categorization okay. standpoint, but I would say with respect to GAG clauses that that is one that has both financial and care management implications for the members because you'd want to have a transparent relationship between a member. Or plan beneficiary and their pharmacist so that the pharmacist could communicate what it wants to and what it thinks is the best course of treatment or most efficient treatment for the patient, a gag clause would prohibit the pharmacist from informing the patient if there might be a lower-cost alternative available to the drug that they would be getting through the coverage by the health plan and the PBM. So we are seeing more and more states enacting prohibitions against gag clauses and that, in theory, would have member benefit and also
0: lower cost. Todd, thanks so much for being in the studio today. We really appreciate your perspective on PBM regulation.
1: Payers, Providers, and Patients, Oh My! is a podcast brought to you by Kroll & Mooring LLP. You can find more information at kroll.com slash healthcare podcast.